Let me begin with a preface, okay, for this sermon. <laughs> I ain't mad. I ain't mad, okay? I'm not mad. And I want you to understand that. Uh, but when the Bible speaks truth, we'll speak truth as well. If the truth doesn't fit in with the world, then the world's one with the problem. You understand? Uh, and sometimes our society, our culture gets a little bent sideways uh, because of uh, the stand that the true children of God try to make in today's time. Now, Granted, there are many within so-called Christendom now, many uh, that get along fine with the world. They, they interview them on TV. They quote them in the news. They're contributors on your local late broadcast news. That The world gets along fine with them. That's fine because they fit in with the world. But when the true church, the people of God, take a stand for what is truth and what is right, you will notice, if you have not already in today's time, that more and more we're coming under the gun, under the fire of those who would want us silenced. There's coming a day, you know, you, you think, I used to think this was hyperbole, hyper, hyperbole when... Uh, the preachers would speak it from the pulpit. There's coming a day when, you know, uh, we can't say this and that anymore, but uh, the day is here. The day is not far in front of us. Uh, you know, of course, uh, when we, uh, you know, do our sermons, we uh, recording these sermons in a, in a you know, program, and uh, after we re do that, we put these sermons online and, and then these sermons go out. And whoever wants to can click, go to our uh, church website, click on them, and listen to what we have in our sermons. Uh, there's coming a day uh, when that's going to be shut down. When because of things that we say from this pulpit, uh, we will be silenced. Oh, no, Joey, that one, yes, it, it's coming. It's not far away. Uh, we're like, well, this election's going to take care of that. No, it's not far away. It's not. Now, I don't want to get over dramatic or anything like that, but I do want you to understand where we are at in uh, Scripture history, where we're at. People have been preaching the return of Jesus Christ for thousands and thousands of years, a couple of thousand, as a matter of fact. Uh, people have been talking about the return of Jesus, and still we hear today, uh, he's coming back. But is he really coming back? Well, I want us to look at the life of a man that I think will testify to that fact. And as uh, you can see from Acts, or from, I'm sorry, from Hebrews chapter 12, the, every now and then I come up with a, a cute little 
title for a sermon. And you know, I try to do it every week, but it doesn't it does not work out every week. Only only every now and then do I actually hit upon one. And I think I did this week uh with the sermon uh title that we're going with Get in the Cloud. Get in the cloud. Now you see all kind of TVs and I know like in today's society we're like, oh okay, yeah, the cloud. I'm on the cloud, Joe. Yeah, I'm on the cloud. But I want to talk to you about a different cloud. A different cloud. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Wherefore, seeing also, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Most kind and gracious Father, as we come this way today, Father, we ask that your will be done, that your kingdom be high and lifted up, that Holy Spirit would teach us from your word, God, that you would have us to glean from it. Lord, that we'd put ourselves aside. Lord, we'd not do anything of our own selves, but trust ever in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Lord, those here in this service today, Lord, whoever, uh, wherever they may be that hear the sound of the, our voice, Lord, that they might be encouraged and strengthened in your word. Lead, guide, direct in all that we ever do. And let us always be careful to give you the praise, the honor, the glory. For us in your name we ask all these blessings. Amen. And amen. Now notice now what scripture says. This is Paul writing to the church. Uh, well, uh, let me back up on that because a lot of people get bent out of shape because you say Paul wrote that because there's scholars like, well, we don't know if Paul wrote that. Well, uh, they can think what they want to, but I think Paul wrote that. Okay. And when he wrote this, he said, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now think about what Paul was talking about, what he was discussing in this book here. Uh, because we see a lot on the uh, people that have come before us, on those that have come before us in the faith. He mentioned those things. Uh, you know, we have what is called the uh, Hall of Fame of, of Faith before that. Uh, and we see all those champions of the faith mentioned in the chapters before uh, he gets to chapter 12 there where he mentions looking about, looking at that great cloud of witnesses. What does he say? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And as a study in this, has begun to look and uh, study on things. Now, I didn't mention this last week. It's like I told the guys in Sunday school a while ago, because I'm not really a big fan of October 31st. Not a fan at all, okay? Truth be known, I just go ahead and tell you, I don't like it. Because, well, it's to me, it's Reformation Day. It was 499 years ago last Monday 
that Martin Luther took and nailed the 95 Theses to the church at Wittenberg. Uh, for those uh, not familiar with history, that is what is considered by many the beginning of what is known as the Protestant Reformation. Uh, truth be known, it began many, many years before uh, with a fellow named John Wycliffe, uh, considered the morning star of the Reformation, uh, who had translated scriptures uh, into what was known as the vulgar tongue. And what that meant is they took and translated scripture, the Roman Catholic Church forbade that scripture be translated in any other language than that of Latin. Uh, why is that? Because uh, Only because of that, because they could keep control of the church. So Wycliffe did that and began what we know as a reformation. But anyway, uh, that anniversary was last Monday. Uh, that uh, is the... And next year will be the 500th year of that, a pretty good anniversary. But as I begin to, to think about that, I studied uh, at great lengths on uh, some different things that happened back then. And I want you to understand, I want you to realize, Joey, I really don't like history, and I'm going to tell you, if you don't understand where you come from, you don't know where you're going. I mean, that's just the plain fact of the matter. If you don't understand where you come from, you don't know where you're going. And Christians better understand where you come from. You better understand where you come from. Let me tell you the uh, little count. All right? April 1519. Pretty good year, right? Back several, several hundred years ago. Well, in April 1519, one woman, six men, were burned to death at Coventry in, over in England, okay? So we, you know, realized that these types of things happened back then, that there were uh, things that went on, that people were doing uh, all kinds of stuff back in the olden days and uh, that the church had to really look out and, you know, make sure none of this heresy stuff was going on. So in 1519, these one woman and six men were burned to death. And it should be noted that... Uh, uh, Mercy was granted in that some of the women were allowed to live to care for the orphans that were about to be made. Okay? What was the crime of these one woman and these six men? What was so heinous a crime that they had to be burned alive at the stake? I'll tell you what it was. They taught their children the Lord's Prayer in English. That's it. They taught their children the Lord's Prayer in in English. You see, the church, the Roman Catholic Church, forbade that anybody could teach anything in any other language except for Latin. And when, uh, for all that time now, for all what is considered the Dark Ages now, there's always been men and women committed to the true church, committed to the true scriptures, and going about teaching those. But you see, a, a place in time uh, where men and women are burned to death simply because the church forbids that you teach anything in English, uh, I mean, that's a pretty rough time, ain't it? That's a pretty rough time. That was 1519. Uh, later on in 1524, there was this young guy, young priest. Uh, he slipped away from London over there. He lived over there, was a, a tutor over there for a, a pretty good, you know, uh, well-off guy. Uh, but he, he left out in London in 1524. Uh, the king 
The government didn't want him. They forbade him to leave, but he left knowing, knowing what? That he would never see his homeland again. He did this, uh, and for 11 years of his life was a fugitive on the run, hunted, pursued time and time again uh, by those that would uh, uh, apprehend him and turn him in for a ransom. His crime, his crime, his life's ambition, the thing that he was hunted down for, he, because he was going to translate the Bible into English. That was his crime. He was going to translate the Bible into English. Why? Because men and women who walked the streets of England at that time could not even pick up a book and read the Holy Scriptures. Did you realize that? Just a little over 500 years ago, it was illegal. Illegal for someone to hold in their possession an English Bible. 500 years ago is not that far. It's not that long ago. Well, this man named William Tyndale, might have heard of him before. He went on, pursued and everything. If you'll go back and look, this very Bible that I have right here, this King James Bible, King James 1611, right? Well, man, that's one of the greatest works in uh, uh, scholarship that we have. Yes, it is exactly right. 90% of the wording in this King James Version directly attributable to William Tyndale. Directly attributable. No doubt, this man was without question probably the greatest scholar alive at the time in England, or in all of Europe. The man knew eight languages. He studied. He went to Oxford at the age of 12. 12. You know what I was doing when I was 12 years old? It wasn't studying at Oxford. I guarantee you that. I didn't even know what Oxford was at 12. And this man studying foreign languages. And he could have done, the king of England wanted him to come and to be on his court. He was so well thought of. But you know what he told him? He said, only if you will let me uh, translate the scriptures into English. The king became so infuriated at him, at his rejection of his invitation, uh, that he put him on the most wanted list. But you see, this man never stopped. Never stopped. Never quit going. I want you to look. At uh, this right here. Usually when we read scripture, you know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we start with 1 and go to 2. We're going to do it backwards today. Let's look at Hebrews 12 and verse 2. And notice what it says there. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now you see, uh, what is so intriguing about this scripture? What is so intriguing about this verse? Well, this man that I've been telling you about, this uh, William Tyndale, all right, uh, sometimes it's, it's, you know, hard for us to wrap our mind around that at one time that this did not exist, this English Bible 
did not exist. It existed only in uh, Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. Now, back in 300, there was a guy named Jerome that translated into uh, Latin, uh, which a lot of the other translations were based off of. But originally, it's Hebrew and it's in Greek. And then when somebody read those words, if I read, you know, Greek, and I was reading Greek, if you didn't speak Greek, you didn't understand Greek, I had to translate it so you could understand, so you would know what the scripture was talking about. And you see, that's what Tyndale was doing. He was going through the Greek New Testament, and he was translating it so the, the uh, common people of England, the, the bakers, the, uh, the uh, blacksmith, uh, uh, the, the uh, gardeners, all the people, of, they, could, they could understand what Scripture was telling them. And you see, when he got to this verse over here, when he got to this verse, this Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, there was a word in there, archegos, archegos. And in that word, that word has the meaning, the chief leader, the prince. And it speaks of Christ, but it has this meaning, one that takes the lead in anything and thus affords an example, a predecessor in a matter, a pioneer, a pioneer. And you see, when he got to that word, he was looking at that. Jesus, the, the prince of our faith, the, the one that, that begins our faith. And you see what his concern was, that he, would, he thought that if he chose the wrong word, if he gave the impression that Jesus begins our faith, that somehow there was an end to it. That what had a beginning would have an end. And he wanted the people to understand that Jesus Christ was what the author and the finisher of our faith. That there is no end in the love of Christ. That there was no end to what Christ had done for our life. And you see, he dealt with this and he struggled with this. And we look back at his life and see the things that he dealt with. And when we pick up scripture today and I read to you Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 about Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, it flows so smoothly off my lips. And yet this man struggled to make sure that it was the right words. And what am I doing today? What do I do today? What is my witness today? Verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul speaks many times about comparing life with a race, with some type of a competition. And he's speaking of that here. That let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. 
You see, Paul is speaking of a journey that you and I are on, of a competition that you and I are in. And yet when I look back and see the life that men like William Tyndale lived and what they did for the cause of Christ, and I set it beside my own, I am in awe and wonder and in shame of what I am, of what our nation and what our people have become, of what our churches have become in this day and time. That we would struggle uh, with things within the church, that we would struggle with things within our life that mean absolutely, positively nothing. When men and women were burned alive for teaching their children the Bible in English. Oh, but that was so long ago. Do you understand? Do you understand that one day in heaven, I'm going to have to walk up and I'm going to see this man. And what in the world am I going to say to him? What in the world am I, will I even be ashamed to approach him because of what he has done? And you see, it's not just him now. Because there are thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands of men and women just like him who died for the faith, who died for this word right here, who died for the cause of Christ, who would not simply say, oh, I submit, you're right, Pope, I'll take that back. They didn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And you see Paul talks about running the race. This great cloud of witnesses. You see what I mean? Get in the cloud. <laughs> We've got to get in the cloud, folks. We've got to get in the cloud of witnesses. We've got to be one of those that runs this race. That lays these weights aside that doesn't let the sin so easily beset us. Yeah. Understanding and knowing that we're going to stand before a holy judge who is going to judge us on what we have done with His Word. This is the truth. This is the only truth. Nothing but the truth. Jesus said what? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm going to stand before him one day. You see, I'm not mad. But if I don't tell you the truth, guess who that's on? It's on me. It's on me. So I'm going to tell you the truth. Because I'll be the first one to let you know my life comes way, way, way short of where it ought to be. My life comes up short each and every day. Yes, I come up short. But I realize that we've got to keep on running this race. That the enemy that comes against us would love nothing better than for us to argue, bicker, and get mad with everybody else. Amen. 
to do a bunch of nitpicking stuff within our churches, uh, within our families, uh, that do nothing uh, but glorify Satan. And that is not acceptable. What we have to do is to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. It is not about me. Nothing is about me. Never has been. Never will be. It is always about Jesus Christ. If it's ever about anything else but Jesus Christ, let's lock the doors and go back home because that's all the good we'll ever do. If it's about anything but Jesus Christ, it has no place in this church. It has no place in our life. Jesus Christ is the only reason that we should get out of bed in the morning. It's the only reason we should do anything we do in our life. It's the name and the life of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we stand before a holy God... On that day, and He judges us with what we've done with our life, and we stand there, uh, listen, you cannot stand there anymore and say, God, I didn't know. It was charged to me to tell you that. I've told you that. I've told you you're going to give an account for that. That's what I was bid to do. That's what I know. I know the lives of men like this. I know what he has done. I know what me and many before him has done. I know what people are still doing today, living the cause of Christ, living for Jesus Christ. People are still doing that today. They are. But you see, the enemy is running rampant today. And he's convinced you all kind of foolishness. He's convinced you all kind of stuff that does not matter in this life. He convinces us uh, that we're taking this way too seriously. Oh, you take that Bible way too seriously. Oh, really? Oh, really? Did you know that's the only thing that is going to save us? That's it. That's how the message got to us. It, that's how the message got here. God sent his son. He loves us so much that he sent his son. That whosoever would believe in him should have everlasting life. That's all that matters, folks. That's all that matters. I don't care what you've got in the bank down here or up there or over there. Where I don't care what you're driving at sets down. I don't care what kind of threads you've got on you today. I don't care what kind of roof is over your head. I don't care what's behind your first name or that everybody else knows. None of that matters. Amen. It's all going to burn. All that matters is what you have done for Jesus Christ. And you see, when I look at men like William Tyndale, I'm like, man, that, that, that right there. Yeah. That was a life. That was a life. When I look at the life of Joey Davidson, I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. What have I done? How credible is our witness today? And I told you Tyndale's translations uh, that 
were so fundamentally sound and correct uh, that probably over, or more than over 90% of his words appear in the King James. Yeah, that was published like 100 years after Tyndale did all his translation. But get this, October the 6th, 1536, town of Vilvoorde near Brussels in Belgium. Go home and look up where Belgium is at. Look for Vilvoorde. Because in this town, in 15 and 36, at the age of 42 years old, 10 years younger than me, William Tyndale was tied to a pole. And because he was a good scholar, the Catholic Church did him the honor of strangling him before they lit the fire under him and burned his dead body. At 42 years old, this man who had a passion for Jesus Christ was burned alive because he dared defy the church, the authority of the time. Oh me, oh my. And you see, this man went out into eternity, considered a heretic by the world. But guess what? Son, when those eyes closed in death, a hero stepped out on the other side. We can do that too, folks. We can be that hero today. We can be a difference in somebody's lives. And these children, these young people, our hope, our friends, our families, we can be a difference in somebody's lives. But we got to put aside all this foolishness that's going on in the world today. Lay aside this weight, this sin that's in our lives. Brother Mel, come with a verse of a song. This is what we're going to do. We're going to uh, have a verse of invitation that if anybody wants to come down to these altars and pray, man, let's go ahead and do that. If Jesus Christ is uh, dealing with your life today, Holy Spirit is moving in your heart and life, desiring you to come to know to salvation in Jesus Christ, let's take care of that today. Let's take care of that. Whether it's where... Wherever you're sitting, if you want to take care of it there, you can do it there, okay? You don't have to come crying and wailing down to this altar and talk to me. You can believe right where you're at. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. Believe that He was buried and that He rose again according to the Scriptures. That's what you got to do. That's what you got to believe. You ain't got to talk to me. You got to believe that. So if you need to do that, let's take care of that. You want to come down here? You got burden on your heart and your life. You want church folks to pray with you? Uh, let's take care of that as well. But listen, uh, whatever it is.